podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Trev Denny and I'm joined for this one by Jim Boardman and Dave Hendrick to talk about Liverpool getting an away win in a very strange way in the cliched game of two halves as it finished Wolverhampton Wanderers 1, Liverpool 3. We'll take it, Dave. We'll take it every time. Oh, yeah. You, you take any away win in this league, you take any early Saturday kickoff in this league, and you certainly take a win in this league when you're as dreadful as we were in that first half. And you're very, very fortunate not to go in at half time down by multiple goals. Um, I thought overall, on the balance of the 90 minutes, we probably were better second half than they were first half. So we probably deserved the win. But 3-1 definitely flatters us a little bit, I think it's fair to say. And there are lots of reasons why we were better in the second half uh, from things as basic as initial team selection to uh, performance-related issues. And we're going to certainly get stuck into all of those. But just to give you your initial take as well, Jim, um, because... As Dave says, uh, all the way wins are good ones. And it is pleasing to look at the table for whatever the hell, you know, um, it's worth. And see Liverpool top, because what it means is it's a reflection of uh, our ability to put points on the board, even though, as we're going to find out in this show today, the performances are not there yet. No, exactly. That's it. And um, the season we won the league, we played games where we probably did shows, probably did loads of roars, where at the end of it, you said, well, we were shit for part of that game. Or, you know, we're not, not so much lucky, but, you know, we've had to find the ways. We we didn't deserve all three points, maybe, but somehow we found that in us. And you, there's all that cliche, that another cliche that comes then about, you know, sides that win championships, learn how to win games dirty and all this sort of stuff. And it had that a bit of that feel to it, although it's early days to talk about us as, challenging for titles but yeah top of the league um and not just a game of two halves i think it was almost a game of two team talks i think um clock basically handed wolves a team talk by talking about how tired we would be and how ill-prepared we would be because of the international break and the early kickoff and we went out as if to prove that point it was it was dreadful and um i think i tweeted at half time that bill shankley's sort of um, team talks in days gone by was he'd go to the opposition and say, look, Graham, he's got a bit of a bandage on his knee. He's looking tired. He's looking unwell. He's looking um, unfit. Uh, you know, you'll, you've got these, lads. You've got these. And it kind of felt like we did it the wrong way around. But then whatever he said at half time, it was more like a side I'd expect, more like 
the attitude I'd expect from a Liverpool side under Klopp, you know, whoever's on the pitch, everybody's trying to win. And yeah, um, I think it's a big mistake keeping talking about these lunchtime kickoffs. You can't change it in the press conference the day before to stop um, giving yourselves an attitude like you've beaten before you've begun. That's a really good point. And the the best way to change things is to do what was done today, which is to win. Uh, and then people stop talking um, because it ceases to be an issue. But there'll have to be a few of them in a row. And unfortunately, it looks like we're in line to have a few more of these um, before the season's out. Last season's uh, bundle of six was an atrocity. Um, and um, <clears throat> I thought uh, the manager had absolutely a great point uh, in terms of the excess of these things that we've been given twice as many as um, the next club down. But I agree with you completely. There's a different way of approaching that. And it did sound, I mean, he was talking about how it was a joke. Well, the joke was us in that first half. And those kind of things stick, you know, in, 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 in players' minds. And it was a weird one. I think he got his head turned, Dave, by his animosity towards either an individual or an outlet. Um, and just sort of went off on one and it was on because actually the rest of the press conference was quite for a clapper one of late it was quite upbeat and he was quite positive and even when he was a little bit pissed off from another question he didn't get angry about it he was just sort of did his flabbergasted face so i think yeah i think it's it's not the message you want to put out like jim's talking about what what Shanks used to do. Paisley had the opposite. He used to give them toffee, he called it, which is go and tell the opposition how fucking great they are. But it was all bullshit. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to see a little bit more, you know, sort of nouse and psychology from Jürgen. He's, he's so emotional sometimes. And that was such an unnecessary uh, uh, setup to have going in in terms of the mindset and the the anger in that complete in, in that particular exchange. It was it was there for all to see the the mess that was that first half. Yeah, I mean it's look, it's definitely an issue. We we have played double what anyone else has played of these early kickoffs since Jurgen took over. We've had two more away early kickoffs than anyone else has had total early kickoffs. So quite clearly, that's an issue, but. Part of it is just managing a top club. When you manage a top club, you're going to be on television more. It's just a bit of a shit show that we always get the early kickoff on a Saturday and less so the late kickoff on a Saturday or, you know, the early slot on a Sunday or something like that. Now, at least with Europa League this season, they can't give us as many of these shitty early kickoffs. But I... I, we had six of them last year and didn't win any of them. And they had plenty of opportunities to figure out what the issues were. So I, I don't really like Jürgen coming out and moaning like that. Now, I, I understand it, but I, I think there's an, a better way he could have gone about it. He yeah. could have just very simply put the numbers out there. Yeah, but he got rattled. He got rattled in emotion instead. Yeah. He, that's <laughs> it. He, and, he, and he came off like, like a whinger, which unfortunately yeah. he does sometimes. And his point gets lost because he did have a really valid point. But unfortunately, because of the way he went about it, it did get lost. And we won't speculate as to what journalist you were referring to there earlier. But he certainly <laughs> certainly doesn't have so much time for our, our, our good friend. Um, but look, like, like Jim said, 
we came out to lose today. Like that first half performance was a disgrace. Well, can we t- can we talk briefly about that? I get I'll get a take from the two of you before we go into the teams because it's an important one. Can we just get a take from you, Dave, on the selection because for me that's part of that initial capitulation. Mm. I don't like that team going out there today. I understand lads have minutes in their legs, travel, etc. But arguably the person who who'd done the most traveling started and and actually was pretty bad. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure. I I, I don't. And again, I, my hat is off to Jarrell Kwanza for his work today. But I don't, whatever way he managed to choose the, the, the lads that were available to him, it was remarkable how much we changed when the personnel changed. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing was, for me, it wasn't even the personnel change. It was the shape change. So obviously we start out in the 4-3-3. At halftime... He whips Alexis off and puts Diaz on and changes it to a 4-2-3-1. And Curtis and Dominic become a double pivot. And Cody plays as the 10 behind Mo. And we start to match up a lot better with them number numbers-wise. He also seemed to take the safety off our fullbacks a little bit. Now, both of them were garbage first half. Like, Andy Robertson's first half display was an abomination, which is... In stark contrast, I thought, with how he played second half. Joe Gomez was was very poor first half. And it's rare that you'll see anyone get as bad a roasting as he got from Pedro Neto. But it was in part because Jürgen had them sitting off and tucking in with the centre-backs and almost trying to be a really compact group of four and letting those wingers, and it was Neto one side, Wang the other, but also Cunha dropping central to right, and running inwards at us and building up a head of steam before any of our lads got them. In that second half, we saw Robertson tight to Huang, Gomez out tight to Neto, and not to the point where they were stopping them 1v1. They were actually stopping them being options to receive the ball. And once Wolves didn't have those wide outlets and we were able to get a better handle on Cunha, and block off the passing lanes a little better. Wolves didn't have any outlets, so they just kept giving the ball away. And we were able to turn it over and get moving forward. <clears throat> and that's where I thought Jürgen won the game today, was the in-game changes from shape. From 4-3-3 to 4-4-2 at half time, to 4-3-3-1 at half time. And then after the first goal, a lot of managers would have made this decision, oh, well, Cody's just scored, maybe we'll leave him on. Jürgen didn't fall into that trap. Gakpo had been awful and had to come off. He got his goal, which hopefully will help his confidence. But taking him and Jota off, because they were both tragically poor, and bringing on Darwin and Harvey and going to a 4-4-2 with Harvey high and wide in the right, Diaz high and wide in the left, Darwin through the middle, and then Mo sort of buzzing around him. That gave us a much better platform to play with. Because now we could stretch the field wide. Now we could really open that defence up. First half, it couldn't have been any easier. Craig Dawson has always been a yard dog. His entire career. And in that first half, like last season when we played them down there, we made him look like Billy Costa Curta. Because he had his right back in tight to him, his left side centre back in tight to him. There was no space for us to play in. Second half, Diaz stretches the field wide left. So Semedo now has to defend out in the touchline, 
which leaves big swaths of space around Craig Dawson. And we made him look like the yard dog that he is second half. And we exposed the holes in that defence, which we hadn't done at all in the first half. So I thought those changes, even more so than the individual uh, personnel changes, just those shape changes made a huge difference to us in that game. I think that's absolutely fair, uh, what what Dave points out there, Jim, in terms of the uh, changes of shape and obviously the tactics that go with that. Um being uh, every bit as important as the actual substitution uh, and personnel, um, <clears throat> the two definitely coincide. And it's notable that Dam Sabazle had a poor first half as well in terms of giving the ball away a lot more than he usually does uh, because our midfield unit was not functioning, but sloppy passing as well. And then in the second half, he just looked imperious. So um, it, it, it is partially, it's certainly a lot to do with the shape and a lot to do probably with the lads who did come in as, as well and different energy levels. Um, but I do like the point Dave's making there about, about the change in tactics. And it was kind of clear to see and credit to Jurgen. You know, he does get a lot of pelters from people who say that he's, you know, um, excessively emotional in terms of the way that he plays the game or simplistic occasionally as well. And so it is nice to see, Jim, um, that we have w- w- the capacity to reshuffle the team, the shape, um, the, the, uh, the mode of play and, and, and leverage it in the way that we did. I mean, it's not. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say, and I, I agree with Dave saying 3-1 kind of flatters us, but it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that that could have finished 5 or 6-1 the way that we played in that second half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons 3-1 flatters us is because they let themselves down the other team. Um, it, it shouldn't have been 1-0 at half time. It could have been 3-0 to them at half time. That's, that's one of the ways that the flattery comes in, <clears throat> excuse me, with the 3-1 scoreline because, um, they could have killed us basically in that first half and, and didn't. We were that bad. Um, and as you say, second half, I think, I mean, back to the cliche, if you watch the two halves in isolation, you might not have been surprised to hear Liverpool had won 3-0 if you don't, you know, if you'd only seen the second half performance. So, but like I said, first half, we could have easily lost 3-0. I think another interesting point as well with Dave bringing up the different formations that we were using in that half, that second half, is that we can quickly switch from formation A to formation B to formation C, that players can move around within those formations and do slightly different roles. And that kind of, negates this stuff that I was talking about was looking ill-prepared because, you know, get the psychology right. We can play, any any of our players can almost play, can play in numerous positions, can play well in them, and we've got a few different formations we can use and we can switch those formations around as it suits us once we find out how things are going, how the opposition are playing. And, you know, from a psychology point of view, that's almost how we should be. That's one of the ways of dealing with these um, international breaks or, or, you know, late European matches, a lot of travelling and so on, is, look, lads, plan A today, plan B today, plan C today. It can't be that difficult to sort of have them drilled into knowing these are the kind of games they're playing and, you know, slight variations on them, but that's the basic of what you're doing. The good lads, the brainy, the, the, they're intelligent, most of them. Um, I'm sure Dave's thinking of one or two that he wouldn't class as brainy now, but um, but they are. They're, I mean, they're a good, a good bunch of lads who know what they're doing. And I know there's a couple of new faces, but they're settling in as well. Um, we we are capable of adapting to things more than we sometimes do. And I think Klopp has had criticism in the past for how he sort of handles within a game sometimes, but... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. 
from our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I think one of our strengths on the clock, I've said this so many times, is the way we react to situations. We were slow to react today. Um, I think... The, the the yellow card early on, which was a bit dodgy, was sort of, you know, set the scene. The way we reacted to that was to sort of carry on waiting for them to attack us again. And next thing you know, we scored. We've had a goal against us. And there was no kind of like fight back from us. And that's what disappointed me. But second half, the reaction was back there. And that's that's the thing we need to focus on that, you know, sometimes when you're in these games, you are feeling like you're under pressure. You are the, the victim of all the um, relentless shite referees and dodgy schedule and all of this stuff. Fine, you can talk about that, but what you do is you talk about how you can say, fuck that, <laughs> we can still win games and this is how we do it. And, you know, if ever there was a demonstration of that, it was that second half. I mean, first half, I mean, you think about the, the, the contribution McAllister had and whether the yellow card played a part in it, I don't know. Whether the tiredness played a part in it, I don't know. I don't think he's a bad player, but he's a lot better than what we saw today. And basically, he was so bad that just taking him out effectively made the difference because we kind of did away with that position, if you like, and used the other two midfields in a different way. And um, I think Dominic is a player that he's wearing that number eight. And I don't want to sort of instantly make him into, you know, talk about him like he's another Steven Gerrard because there's a long way to go to that. But one of Gerrard's strengths was how he could play in different positions, play different roles and play them well. And, you know, if we've not we've not gone out this summer and brought out and bought ourselves a, a central midfielder, defensive midfielder who can go straight into the team and play well. So we're basically trying out different things with the plays we did get. You know, whether Endo becomes that player, I don't know. Clearly Klopp's not ready for him to go in yet. Um, you know, I don't know, but <laughs> Dominic is good in that role. And today we've not got Van Dyke behind him, we've not got um Canate behind him. Um, Kwanzaa played well but you'd think today would have been a day where you just want a bit of solidity in front of them and I just don't think that's McAllister's game somehow um, maybe it is in other competitions at other clubs but I just don't think that's his game for us to play as a, as a central midfielder um, a defensive midfielder and we need to I don't know not that idea on the head the only the only excuse I'll give Klopp for that is I've said this before if you're playing against a team that's not going to worry you too much going forward then fine you can have that luxury of playing someone like that in there but a bit of homework on Wolves maybe would have seen this is the kind of football they can play. Um, yeah. They've not got rid of all of their exciting attacking players. Maybe they've not all got a good end product. But we must have known we were going to be under the cosh by then quite possibly. And maybe that wasn't the right game to play him in that role. Especially when he's so knackered quite clearly. It does make you wonder, doesn't it, for <clears throat> poor Endo uh, and Klopp's perception of that footballer. It could be just the taking time to bed in thing that you mentioned, but um, you would have thought he'd have featured today when things were getting a bit ropey. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, interesting. Uh, and we'll just take a quick look at the teams there. I like that thing that you brought up there as well. I couldn't help but think of how many times I sat and watched Manchester United play in their dominant era and be absolutely mm. appalling, especially in Europe, especially mm. in Europe in the Champions League, and be appalling and still manage to dig out a result. Oh, uh, always the weekend after a European game as well, United. They'd be yeah. absolutely tragic. 
and yet they'd come away with a 2-0 win and nothing had really happened in the game. Yeah. But somehow yeah. they'd win 2-0. Or or two one, haven't gone a goal down uh, yeah. like like we did today, and and then they and, score eighty four and eighty eight, and you just like yeah. how the fuck they won this? <laughs> it, it's it, the point Jim makes about that about getting that into your psychology, and we have now the experience of winning an adversity a couple of times this season. It's um it's no mean attribute to have as a team. Liverpool today started with Alisson, Gomez, Kwanzaa, Matip, and Robertson. Suppose like McAllister and Jones, as we've said, were midfield and Salah, Gakpo and Jota. And unfortunately, in that 11, um, for most of that first half, we had a couple of passengers and a few lads who were getting really badly bypassed. I felt very sorry, Dave, uh, just to talk briefly about Liverpool. I felt so, very sorry for Jarrell Kwanzaa and the, the, the pressure he was under mm. because the main feature of that opening half was how on top of us they were in terms of their press. And in terms of not allowing us to play, which only seemed to be central, we were only able to move the ball centrally, it seemed. And in the second half, it was almost the exact opposite. They couldn't get out. We were smothering them, but they were smothering us in that first half. And I thought, my God, that's a massive ask for that kid to come in. And I think overall he did well. But when you look at the bench today, Dave, as well, just to bring this aspect of it in, so you can give me your take on the selection, what you thought he was trying to do and uh, your take on it. But when you look at the bench, Endo's going to be whatever he's going to be. But you've got Kanate, Diaz, Nunes, Elliot, Simicus, Gravenberg, uh, Bacetic, great to see him back, and Kelleher. That's a good bench. There's lots of things you can do to affect the game. And we still have Thiago to come back. We still have Virgil to come back into that bunch of football. And Trent. And Trent, uh, who are nominally, nominally, if they're at their best, three starters. So that's that's quite heartening, I think. It is. Look, the thing with, with Alexis in midfield is it'll work against teams that are not dynamic in midfield. Alexis in that sixth role against an Aston Villa who are playing... Douglas Louise and Bubakar Kamara, both outstanding. Kamara in particular is is exceptional. But they're not dynamic players. They're not going to pick the ball up and drive with it. But Wolves, with the physicality they had in that midfield, Bellegarde able to pick the ball up and drive with it. Gomez, uh, Gomes able to pick the ball up and drive with it. Lamina, big, powerful, rangy. That midfield that we played today reminded me of watching us play in the 2021 season when Jürgen went through that phase of playing Thiago as the six. And it worked against Dross, who didn't have dynamism through the central area, but against anyone good who could either move the ball quickly or had lads that were big and strong and could run with the ball, Thiago was just completely lost. And Alexis today was completely lost. Now, I do wonder if the Alexis sub was... I'd say he was probably going to play 60 because he's just back from South America and I think he played at altitude, didn't he, in the in the second game over there? Yeah. So I'd imagine he was only tagged to play 60 and then I think it was, Jim said, maybe it was yourself, um, maybe the yellow card was just sort of, look, let's just get this lad off. We don't, we don't want another red card here. Yeah, um, the, the difference there as well between Thiago and Alexis in that position as well is that Tiago actually did spend a lot of games barreling around in that centre, firing himself into tackles. Yeah, being and, used like David Batty. Exactly, and using his hips and and sending lads over the over the touchline and 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 you know doing yard dog stuff, which isn't really that that isn't 
he actually it's it's a it's a credit to him that he has that level of uh, of of physicality to his game even at the age he was but i don't think that's a McAllister attribute in any way shape or form as you say if there's dynamism around him he's going to get turned around and maybe doesn't have that dog in him to actually just kick a lad as he's passing him no that's the thing i mean alexis came to england as a number 10 he came through the academy at was it Argentinos Juniors as a ten, went to Boca Juniors as a ten. And Brighton played him as a ten to begin with. And then they moved him back. But they moved him back next to Caicedo. And Caicedo is that is that dog in midfield. He's the yeah. one that'll go and he'll tackle and he'll bite and he'll win everything and he'll run people down. And Alexis didn't have to do a lot of that. Alexis's job was a lot of kind of sitting in midfield and dictating the game. It was a little bit like a less physical version of Alonso and there's Strange people to have this idea that Xabi Alonso was a defensive midfielder, and he wasn't. He was a deep-lying playmaker who just happened to have Javier Mascherano next to him who'd just go and bite everybody's ankles and take the ball off them and give it to the lads that could play, and then he'd wait for us to lose the ball, and then he'd just go and take it back. And if we had that type of guy in next to Alexis, I think this midfield would function a lot better. I think we'd be able to play Dominic a bit further forward as well. Because, like, as Jim pointed out, he can play a multitude of positions, but the best thing for us is going to be getting him in attacking roles because that's where he's going to be most effective for us in terms of winning us games and winning us silverware is to get him into an attacking midfield type of role, similar to what Rafa did with Gerard. Rafa mm. took one look at the idea of Gerard in a double pivot and went, absolutely not. Now, there was a couple of reasons for that. Stevie's inability to hold position and desire to just slide into the most ridiculous of tackles was part of it. But he also realised that the most effective way for Gerard to lift the team was to play him in that attacking role. And I think in time, hopefully that's what Jürgen will do as well. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. You mentioned Kwanzaa, and I think it's important to just take a moment and talk about him. He's a kid. He played, what, 60, 70 minutes in the Premier League? up until today, and he had a rough start. The first half, he struggled a little bit. Now, a big part of that was that Joe Gomez was getting rinsed, Joel Matip was getting rinsed, and he was trying to deal with Matthias Cunha. But I did think he settled into the game, and I mm-hmm. thought his composure was good. He looked good on the ball. He looked very calm. He was aggressive in the air. He won his aerials. Well, he's... He, my perception was that he won his aerials. I haven't seen the, the the stats on it yet. But I thought he played well. Now, I will say 
when Ibu came on, and this is no indictment of, of Kwanzaa, when Ibu came on, I suddenly felt a lot calmer. Just having that world-class centre-back stepping in there made a huge difference for me. Did you also, though, when you think about Joel, though, did you feel a whole lot less um, stressed when Matic was playing next to Van Dijk? Because I think there's a kind of Matic before Virgil and a Matic after. Yeah. Um, and having there's, someone there's like that, just, two, just two can Joel fill those Matters. holes that you leave, if you like, you know, can just fill those gaps. There's, uh, there's definitely two Joel Matips. There's the Matip, Matip fit and in form with Virgil is one of the six or seven best defenders in the league. Matip fit and in form without Virgil is just a good defender. Matip, like he was today for large parts, is the reason that people used to have conversations over <laughs> who's better, him or Lovren. Like that, let's let's not forget that was a real conversation that people had regularly before we signed Virgil. Who's better, Lovren or Matip? And it was disrespectful to Matip, but it wasn't massively disrespectful to him. He he did have those type of games in him. He has hugely improved. A big part of that is also having, you know, a settled partnership, a better goalkeeper, a, a settled right back, not having Nathaniel Klein in the team and things like that. Um, but for sure. Joel was one who who hugely benefited, and Fabinho was another reason that Joel stepped up a level. Having that elite protector in front meant that you know he wasn't having runners coming straight at him, which he, he's not comfortable with. He had someone that would cover behind him, which meant that he could step out a little bit more, and he was able to play more of his natural game. I thought even when Ibu came on today. Joel looked a lot happier and a lot more comfortable because he, he doesn't have to worry about it. With Quancy, you could tell he was trying to cheat across a little bit and trying to be the, the senior centre-back, trying to be the talker in there, which isn't Joel's role. It's not something he excels at, but I thought, credit to him, he took that role upon himself today. And, like, look, they, they had a, a bit of a torrid time, but it wasn't their fault. Like, it wasn't anything that they were actively doing poorly. Gomez was getting rinsed and Robbo was having a stinker. So they were having to deal with the brunt of, of all of Wolves' attacks. And, and to their credit, they held fairly firm. Wolves got a goal. Nothing either of them could have done with that. They should have had a second. You could question whether Matip could have done a bit more to stop the initial break, uh, the, the initial uh, build-up on that. But all told, I, I did think the two of them had fairly solid games today. But I can't wait to have Ibu and Virgil back. Oh, man. And it was so notable. I don't know if either of you noticed or clocked this. But at one stage, um, Ibu has played the ball out of defence. And the camera kind of stays on the back line moving up. And he's giving it to full Virgil windmill arms and shouting and roaring across, looking across, being that leader of that back line. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy, we just really need this guy in the team. It's just... Uh, I wish he wasn't so delicate. It, hope, it was hope. even notable with Robbo when Ibu came on. Because Robbo has this horrible desire or inclination or whatever the fuck it is to constantly drop deeper than the defensive line. And Virgil spends large parts of his game screaming at him to hold the line, hold the line, hold the line. And when Kwanzaa was playing left centre back today, every time they attacked, Robbo was backpedaling behind the rest of the defensive line and given an extra two yards that if if they'd had 
maybe a bit better movement from their number nine, mm. he could have had opportunities. Once Ibu came on, that stopped, and he was driving Robbo out, 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 not allowing him to get behind the defensive line, not allowing him to create that second line, which is just going to lead to chances for us. So, yeah, I definitely thought when Ibu came on, the communication got better. It, you could hear it was it was audible. You could hear the, the chatter amongst our defense a bit more. And I noticed, it, especially with Robbo, that he wasn't doing that stupid thing where he drops three yards behind everybody else. We'll take that. Um, Wolves today, Gary O'Neill went with Jose Sa, obviously. Semedo, Dawson, Kilman, and Ait Nuri. Um, Bellegarde, who I, I had not seen before and was very taken with. Lamina, Jao Gomez, Pedro Neto, who had a fantastic first half. Uh, Cunha, who we've mentioned already, and Huang, who scored their goal in that first half. We'll come and talk about that, obviously. On the bench, they had Doherty, Traore, <clears throat> Silva, all of whom, whom came on, Hugo Bueno, um, the same, uh, Kaladzic, Doyle, who came on, Sarabia, Gomez, and Bentley. Um, they have a squad, and we have to listen. I don't know what, where you guys were accessing your your um, your your viewing today, but I was watching on the rebranded BT that's now TNT. So I'm still stuck with Fletch and freaking Jermaine Genas and the boys with their. Um, let's just say less than insightful analysis as the thing was going on. But what was interesting was how high they were on this Wolves side mm. and just if they could possibly score a few more goals, then that would be the thing. And of course, then they get their early-ish goal and, and, and the tails are up. And I thought they showed Jim that they will, they have the capacity to be a real force because Many people would have seen the change in manager as a downgrade. Uh, many people would have seen a lot of their big name players, the most latest, the latest of which was was um, was the, the lad who went to City, uh, Nunes. Um, and people would have seen that as a weakening. But they seem to have the ability to keep bringing on these kids through, like this Bellegarde fella, who I thought was very good. And what a bonus it is for them to have Pedro Neto back doing bits. Yeah, I mean they're they're a team that um, I mean they're in, a little bit like Brighton that suddenly find you suddenly think to yourself when you say you're struggling to find decent players, you sometimes look at a club like Brighton or Bulls and think, where are you? Why are you finding these players? And we're sort of struggling forever to find anyone or paying through the nose to buy to find you know potentially good players because um, I mean how good they are for Wolves and how good they be for another teams another matter. Same with Brighton and maybe we'll see that with McAllister this this season. But the these these starlets, if you like, are, are good quality and they are only playing for Wolves and the expectations are lower. And, you know, I mean, the, I was also lovely, you know, lucky enough to be able to watch the TNT Fletch masterclass in commentary. Um, and him and Jenna just basically spent most of the second half saying it was all Wolves' fault for not taking the chances. And I kind of get where they're coming from on that because, you know, they did look exciting. They did look a worry. Um, but when we were doing scouts at Tommy's the other day, Jay and I, we were sort of saying, what's happened to Wolves? Because we know they've let some departures go recently, including one who sulks his way out. Um, what is the new squad going to look like? And I wasn't sure if they might have that many um, of these players that when we played them last season, they had a good few players who frightened us. I'm going to say us, I mean fans. Whether the team were frightened enough is another matter at the time. But um, we played them a lot last season and they did have some worrying players and maybe some of those is gone. But Neto... Um, definitely a game of two halves for him. He only played the first half. I don't know what happened to him in the second. But these are players that that, that are good quality and they're not playing. I mean, they, the way they came out, the way they, they came out from the off straight away, 
they didn't play like the sort of underdog um waiting to just absorb the pressure and you know take take the sting out of the game and and kill time and all the rest of it they they played football that i'd want to go and pay to watch and see if i lived in that region you know it, it wasn't um dreadful i mean a few miles north people used to watch stoke and i don't know how they ever ever paid to do that um that was you know being a wolves fan you can be excited to watch that i'm sure um although you know i'm not sure what all this fuck the scousers stuff was about i mean what have wolves ever done for the world what's that city ever done for the world anyway um it was it was um it's a team full of sort of potential and the manager wants to play football the right way and if there was a way of incorporating something into the laws of the game and the rules of the competitions that you can't play shit football where you just want to bore the arse off everyone, um, Wolves would be fine. I wish they would bring that rule in. But for now, um, you know, as lower down teams go, that's with all due respect. They're doing things the right way. I just think maybe they need more patience with managers, but they're definitely doing things the right way. Amongst the worst sets of lads in terms of a way of, of fans that we have to come up against for sure. And I've had always a sort of borderline irrational dislike of Wolves, but never rivaling, um, say my mate Pooley's, uh, hate of, of Wolves, which is always inspirational <laughs> to me. Um, but Dave, do, would you be high on Gary O'Neill keeping these guys in a, you know, safe enough position mid-table for the rest of the year. Do you think they have more in them than that, or will they struggle? I'm not a I'm not a big believer in Gary O'Neill. I have to say, I thought he did a decent job or a good job last year. Obviously with Bournemouth, but he also got very lucky with Bournemouth last year, where they had one good run of form, and then they fell apart, and the World Cup break came at just the right time for them, and they spent a big ball of money in the January window and then they had another decent run of form but they ended the season falling over their own feet routinely so I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan I think he he got thrown into a job last year that he wasn't ready for I I think he's been thrown into a job now that he's not really ready for but he does definitely have the right principles and he definitely wants to get his players playing a certain way and they didn't have a pre-season with him so he hasn't had a chance to get them up to the type of level of fitness that is required to play that brand of football, which is why on about 40, you could see some of their players starting to puff and pant a little bit. Yeah. But we shouldn't have been surprised because they went to Old Trafford on the opening day of the season and wiped the floor with United for large portions of the game by doing exactly the same thing they were doing here, by picking the ball up, spreading it wide, driving from central areas and just taking United's players out of the game. They got screwed that day by one of the worst refereeing decisions you're going to see all season and some some poor finishing. And today, some poor finishing caused them. But, you know, when you look at their team, I mean, Jose Saza is a solid keeper. Semedo and Dawson, they could probably upgrade on fairly easily. Kilman is good, though. He's a good defender. He could probably play at a higher level. Ryanet Nuri is would be on my short list of Andy Robertson's successors if he can stay fit. I think he's outstanding. I think he always does fairly well against Mo as well. Um, Joe Gomes they brought in in January. Young player from Brazil, huge talent. Lamina's a bit of a yard dog, but he's a good yard dog, and he's very, very good at what he does. He just ran out of steam today. Wang is he's, he's, he's solid. Bellegarde is... I wouldn't imagine many of our players or our manager or our coaches had seen a whole lot of him because he was at Strasbourg. 
they went to Strasbourg to buy Habib Diallo and couldn't get him because Chelsea owned Strasbourg and blocked the transfer, even though the player wanted to go, which was a bit weird. And then suddenly they came away with this guy. Um, and, and to be fair, he, he looked very good today. He had, a, he had a really good game. If Pedro Neto didn't have the injury problems that he's had, I would imagine he would probably be in the top two or three names on a list somewhere at the AXA of Mo Salah replacements. Um, because nominally he has, through his career, played right side as that left footer cutting in. But I have to say, in, a, in an era of inverted wingers, which you know is just what people do now, I fucking love seeing a winger play on their natural side. I love seeing a winger that can beat a fella outside and whip a cross in, but also has the guile to dribble infield and beat him on the inside shoulder. And Neto is so, so gifted, but he's lost, basically, he lost a full year to a patella tendon tear, and then he lost most of last season to an ankle injury. So he's been really unfortunate, and, and it's been a massive blow for them because, you know, they had Neves, they had Nunes. He's probably the most talented player they've had, and they've only had him for probably two-thirds of one season over the last two seasons. And Cooney is a player that's been linked to us in the past. So, like, when you look at Aitnuri and you look at Neto and you look at Cooney and you look at Gomez, they're players that you could see play for clubs of our standing. They have the potential. It's just a matter of can they stay fit? Can they find the consistency that's required? So anybody that had the idea that we were going to go there and just walk through this team either hasn't been paying attention or listens far too much to the wrong people. Um, because there's a lot of talent in this group. And I think there's also, there's a bit of a chip on the shoulder here as well, because their manager basically abandoned them on the eve of the season. And I think it's a really bad look for Lopetegui that he walked out with a couple of days to go before the start of the season. He knew the financial situation they were in before the summer started. He knew they were going to have to sell Ruben Neves, and they probably wouldn't have the money to replace him. He knew they'd committed, at his requirement, $45 million to bring in Matthias Cunha, having loaned him in. They'd committed to paying the the, the release clause, or the, the, the option to buy clause. So, like, he knew the money wasn't there, and yet he fucking pissed about all summer, whinged and moaned, and then walked out. Like, just walk out in June. Quit in July. But I think because he forced it right up until the eve of the season. I think a lot of the players took it quite badly, like in a real kind of, well, fuck him kind of way. So I do think they've got that going for them as well. I'd like to see, I was hoping to see Kalisic come on. Well, no, to be fair, I, I was worried that Kalisic would come on because I think he's going to be an important player for them if he gets opportunities up front with Cunha. I think that's a really good pairing that they could put together with Neto one side and maybe Bellegarde plays the other side but kind of tucked in. I, I think they'll be fine this season. I think I had them 15th in my prediction for the season. Now, Fulham keeping Joe Polina for the year might change that a little bit, but I, I think they'll I think they'll stay up. I think they've got enough talent to stay up. I think they'll be good enough defensively to grind out some draws as well. Um, but they've got to find a way to get some more goals. It's not going to be Fabio Silva because he's all huff and puff. 
So it could be Sasakalajic. It could be Cunha if he if he just clicks into gear. Everything else about his game is is really impressive. And as for the Wolves fans, are we really surprised that a city that gave us Gags Tandon has produced a terrible? <laughs> <laughs> That's, oh man, that's harsh. <laughs> On the Wolves people, I know, I know. Uh, just briefly to mention Michael Oliver before we get into the details of the match. Um, uh, at one stage, this guy was no doubt being touted as the great next young up and comer. Um, had a great reputation as a very young fella on the circuit. Um, I don't think he's lived up to it over time, but people still consider him the safest pair of hands or one of the safest pairs of hands. Today, he was matched up with that Tierney imbecile uh, on, on VAR. And I'm sure it was going to go wrong for us, I'll be honest, especially after that early yellow on McAllister, which I thought was borderline joke, to be honest. Um, but I think it was interesting to watch. And Jim, as a fellow, let's just say veteran, of a certain <laughs> number of age uh, of years, you'll understand. You'll understand the references I'm making here when I refer to Neil Midgley and Roger oh. Milford, who were famous for allowing the game to flow. It was like a personality thing that certain refs had. They could interpret the freaking rules whatever way they wanted. Now we've gone to the other end, and the the interpretations vary from week to week across all of the people uh, in the cohort of PGMOL uh, uh, whistleblowers. However. I thought overall, you could see he was trying to let things go. And if either of you have any specific comments on Oliver, please do throw them in as the court, the appropriate decision moments come along. Let's start the details of the match. And Jim, maybe you and I'll go in the first, say, 20, 25 minutes, um, which includes us going goal down. And to be fair, that early yellow that I mentioned from McAllister is something you're going to have to pick up on. It was just four minutes in and it, in those opening four minutes, they were definitely bright uh, front foot. Um, and they are a goal up after only another two where Huang is uh, there at the back post to finish. Neto basically had the whole right side of our defensive midfield on toast. I think it's three lads he beats uh, and puts it across uh, the six-yard box where Huang looks like he finishes it sort of through or under Robbo's legs. And Ali's very much flat-footed and sort of fallen backwards. And as a result, the ball crosses the line before he stops it. It it was ugly in every potential way you want to look at it. And at the end of this, Dave, you can go back and recap your take on the goal, uh, if, if you so wish. Nine minutes in uh, to to the first half, there was a great ball into the box, which um, Joe Gomez got a touch on to, uh, and it goes off Neto and away. A real kind of scary moment. They were all over us, if we're being honest, in that first 10 minutes or so. The press balls into our box consistently. On 12 minutes, another a great ball in by Mo Salah, our first sort of attack of note. Jota's snapshot was off target. Um I don't think we worked in the keeper until the end of the first half. Uh, on 18 minutes, they caught us on the break. Uh, Neto had a decent dig. 
And it was clear, Jim, at this stage that we were really poor in transition. Um, and even when you see even a Rolls Royce like Sabazla giving the ball away, obviously McAllister was doing it, our defenders were doing it. Even a Joel Matip adventure, which we normally revel in, got stopped in a really dangerous spot and they counter-attacked. And it just seemed like any kind of a pass down the side, central, uh, anything at all. And we looked vulnerable. There was a uh, we just had a terrible shape to us when it came to uh, the transitions and the defensive part of the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we were vulnerable when they were coming at us, and we were just vulnerable when we were going at them because it felt like you know, give it three, maybe four passes, and we'd lose the ball again. And it's either poor passing, um, poor positioning, or just just I don't know. It was just that the whole thing we talked about before that looking like they were tired, looking like they were lazy, looking like they couldn't be bothered, just looking ill prepared, looking nothing like. You know, this sort of um, archetypal Jurgen Klopp team that some um, assistant coaches might write books about. It just wasn't that kind of Liverpool team. There just wasn't that that kind of desire. Um, whether whether that yellow card had anything to do with it, I don't know. But there must be a feeling amongst Liverpool players now that we're getting a little bit hard hard done to. You know, there's it's no wonder Van Dijk complained about his red. Whether you think it was a red or not, the fact is the way we've been treated by refs of late instantly you think you, you're talking shite man what is this um and why alexis is getting targeted i don't know i'm wondering whether he's been shouting malvinas or something before kickoff and really um <laughs> really sort of winding up the english and and contingent of referees that we have i don't know um but there definitely seems to be some sort of targeting that red was never a red and it got overturned you can't get yellows overturned but the only yellow cards Oliver showed today were was that one for for Alexis and the two lads from our team celebrating with the fans got yellows as well. There were no other cards as far as I'm aware in this game. And you're telling me that there were no other tackles of that same level as the one of Alexis. And and the other thing is when you talk about consistency and so on, there's always been to me this thing in football where in the first five minutes, refs tend to let things go. Um, a foul that might have been a yellow after 75 minutes tends not to be after seven minutes or five minutes or four minutes or in this case three minutes um, whatever it was it was it was too early for that kind of thing you know it's a it's a bollock and it's a telling off it's a you know a hand on your pocket like you might be about to give a yellow but they're not doing it and if Oliver's this great referee everyone makes him out to be then that's what he does he just tells him off and warns him and from that point on for the rest of the half McAllister's on on eggshells I think and as well as that, he's playing out of position, isn't he? Um, I mean, it was just a couple of minutes later, though, that, that they scored. And I felt like Neto just basically laughed at Gomez and Matip as he went past them. Um, and it, I feel sorry for Ali. He almost got it, but it just went under him, um, just too close to him. And straight away, my first thought was, God, we've done it. We've played straight into that narrative of the lunchtime kickoff. And, and mm. it, it was just, that was it. And... But the frustration then, though, was, as I said earlier, we didn't react. You know, the reaction was to carry on um, playing so badly. I mean, Jota's effort, I think, was that the first effort, the one where he turned it over um, about 12, 13 minutes in? That yeah. that was, you know, that's too long to wait, especially when you're a goal down. There should have been more. Um, I've not got an issue if we're not scoring, if we're trying. But we just didn't seem to get in a position to have a go at, at scoring. Um, and that Matic thing, I think... You're right. On another day, I'd have been, you know, go on, Joel, go for it. And at the time, it's the wrong move at the wrong time. Um, and in a way, it kind of summed up what was going on with us. We just weren't getting it right. And I don't know, by 25 minutes, I just put down, <laughs> written down a Liverpool poor, slow, laboured. Um, it was just, it just wasn't a Liverpool side I'd expect to see. And 
I, I, I'll be honest, I don't think I saw much for the rest of the half to change that opinion, at least, you know, the next uh, next half of that half. Yeah, the only thing about it is that some chances started to get made towards the very end. 26 minutes, we did actually have a half-decent move, a decent jot across, but there was nobody there to put it away. Um, and, of course, they broke from the corner that resulted. Um, McAllister did give the ball away, and Dominic Sabozlik did a fantastic track back to stop Neto on 27 minutes. Um <clears throat> Just to mention that side of his game as well there today. Another good attack with them. I think Bellegarde was central in 28 minutes, led to a corner. Dawson should do better with his header, with his header at, uh, towards goal. We just, as you say, Jim, at that point, around the half hour mark, we were pretty awful. Couldn't really defend, uh, couldn't control the midfield. Our attack was disjointed, couldn't make connection with the final ball. Um, another good move by Wolves on 30 minutes led to a corner. Um, Dawson got up again above Jota, who was clearly just there to try and challenge him because he's not going to beat him in a, in, in a straight aerial battle, you wouldn't have thought. On 33, Dave Neto did Joe Gomez up like a kipper dinked over a gorgeous ball to Cunha, who uh, some reason decides to take a f- an odd jump at the ball uh, and neither puts himself in a position to head or, or volley and it just sort of hits him and Kwanzaa clears his lines. It's a fantastic opportunity they should have scored from. 38 minutes is the next time we had a move. And I think, according to my notes as well, 26 minutes was the first Joe Gomez cross. Um, 38, we had a decent move, a Robbo ball in, Cody Gakpo fluffed his lines. He basically is coming on to a good center from Robbo, opens his foot up way too much on the half volley and it just goes hopelessly wide. Uh, great block by McAllister after another Neto attack. At least he was doing an odd bit. Uh, that was 39 minutes, but we're still a shit show at the back, especially on the right hand side. Uh, Robbo had to come over actually notably to clear the lines on 43 minutes, uh, over to the right hand side to sweep up 44 minutes. Uh, Gomez's second cross of the game into Cody Gakpo. It looked like a clear enough, nice little dinked in cross, clear enough opportunity to head it, but he heads it over. And honestly, uh, you know, it's an, it's a bit of a nothing. It's a far, it's very far out for a header. Uh, on the half hour, then both Mo Salah and Dominic Sabozlay have efforts blocked. And of course, it finishes with them on the, in the ascendancy. Cunha with good approach work. And yet again, an awful attempt um, with a great opportunity when he was basically 1v1 with Ali. So we sort of tried to play our way into it a little bit by the end of that first half, Dave. Um, but we were very, very toothless in terms of efforts at Sa. I don't think there's one there, is there? There's none on target anyway. Um, and... It did seem as though McAllister was really set back by the yellow card as well as everything else. I was just dreading yet another 10-man situation after that. Dave, are you on mute, mate? Sorry. Um, yeah, it, it did kind of seem like it was trending that way. Uh, to be honest, I didn't have an issue with the yellow card because they get given all the time. Like, the guy has gone past him and he pulls him back. That is the yellow card. It, it just is. Um, Michael Oliver is not a good referee, and I'll, I'll never look at his face and not want to slap him. Um, he just reminds me of Rimmer from, from Red Dwarf. Like, he always has. Especially, like, young Rimmer and young Michael Oliver are separated at birth. But, like, 
if I can just track back to their goal, Dominic needs to get goal side of Neto and not allow him that lane to run into. It's awful from Gomez and Matip. I have no idea what Andy Robertson is doing. None at all. He lets that cross run with that, that ball run across his body. It's not played at pace. If he just hooks it, he clears his lines. It's really, really poor awareness from Robertson as to where Wang is. And unfortunately, Ali is uh, is unable to keep it out. You mentioned then the, the Cunha chance. It's If he just stays standing, plants his feet and drives his forehead at the ball, I think he assumed the cross was going to have a bit more purchase on it. So he jumps, hangs in the air, and as he's hanging in the air, the ball is heading for his midriff. And he tries to readjust himself. But if he just stays standing and doesn't jump at all, it's a simple header for 2-0. And they would have been really good value for 2-0. Like they would have been really good value for 2-0. I just can't, point, I can't understand the jump at all, Dave. Because, no. like, it, you know, it's not like it was a, a, a whipped cross. It was... It, it was, was a lift. He just it, lifted it over the over our defence. Lovely arc on it. You can watch it coming in. And for some reason, he does a nervous jump at it. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. It, we're off the hook there in a big way. Yeah, because like the bit of skill from Neto with the the first touch is outrageous, the second touch then to nutmeg Gomez and just race past him, like it's incredible play. Uh, Neto is is absolutely flying at this point, but we we just we got away with one. It's as simple as that. We got away with one. We should have been two 0 down. We deserved to be two 0 down. We hadn't woken up at all. The midfield wasn't working. Curtis couldn't get involved. Dominic was very sloppy with his possession. Now, he was working very hard off the ball, as was Curtis. Alexis couldn't get involved in the game at all. And when he was getting on the ball, they were just physically able to stop him. Like, Bulligard, or Belligard rather, was, was just all over him and was forcing him into areas where he wasn't able to affect the play. And when he picked the ball up, he was playing every pass under duress. We weren't helped by the fact that Mo was struggling to get into the game. Gakpo was atrocious and Diogo Shada might as well have stayed home for all the good he did today. Um, plus both fullbacks were struggling. The only two that were really holding their own were the two centre-backs. Like, I said it earlier, like, there were some shaky moments without question, but it was because they were the only two holding their own at that point. We had that flurry of chances where we probably should score. We probably should score one of those. There's like three chances in like five seconds. When it rolls back to Dominic, you think, right, he's going to put it in. He'll lift it a little bit, but he doesn't get the lift on it. But you couldn't really have any complaints about going in 1-0 down. I was quite relieved it was only 1-0 at halftime. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it was a half that very much got away from us in many, many different ways. And Jim, why not, why don't we focus on something a little bit positive now, which was us getting back into the game? Ironically, with two of the lads that Dave singled out there as being spectacularly ineffective, um, involved. Um, we do make a change on halftime and McAllister is withdrawn and Diaz comes on. And it's no surprise to see Diaz buzzing and in, interested from the start. In fact, on 46 minutes, um, there's a lovely raking 
diagonal ball from Dominic to Robbo um, in an advanced left position. And his first time cross is headed just wide by Luis Diaz. It's a lovely little move and kind of set the tone for the way we would play a lot of the second half in terms of that um, nice interplay. Um, Cunha does run at our right-hand side of our defence. His effort was smothered by Ali on 48 minutes. Um, and it was hard to see and to understand exactly really the, the, the sense of this um, substitution for me at the time. But, <laughs> you know, it's not just the personnel, it's the change in shape as well. And there was good pressure by us in the kind of early 50s moments leading up to the 55th minute where we do go level. And it is Cody Gakpo, Gakpo uh, to be fair, a lovely through ball by Jota to Mo Salah. His centre with his right foot is tucked away at the back post by Cody, who timed his run properly, as did Mo in the, in the build-up. Neither of them were even sort of borderline offside, so we could actually celebrate that goal in the moment. Um, and it was a very well-executed move, a nice bit of flowing football. Uh, and then within a minute, we have Darwin and Harvey on for Cody and Jota, who had been, you know, instrumental in that goal, um, if nothing else. In terms of how we changed things up with the personnel, uh, with the way that we approached the game in that um, opening 10 minutes of the second half, anything specifically you want to pick out? I think um, it's interesting what you say as well. It wasn't just the personnel changes at halftime, because I've just seen a quote from uh, Robbo. Um, I think he got man of the match on TNT. Um, certainly, certainly deserves a lot of a big pat on the back for how we played in the second half. And he said he, he thinks we changed a lot at halftime, not just personnel. We can come up with excuses for the first half, like the international break, people traveling, but we made mistakes we're not used to making. Um, we were poor, too many mistakes. It was a poor performance all round, well below our standard. We started afresh. I think the second half we came out with new confidence, played some quick, easy passes. And after the second half, the result was about right. And I think that 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 is true. I mean, we made the change to the personnel. We changed one player who, A, could have been tired. B, could have been thinking that he's on a yellow. C, thinking we need to change the shape. But I think more than anything, it was just whatever was said at half time was, look, has remember who you are remember how good you are remember how many points you've already got this season I think on Scouser Tommy the other day Jay pointed out last season by the time of the first international break we played six games and we had nine points after four this season only four we had ten points um, we just added another three today and we still not played that sixth game um, you know remember that this is the side that you are not last season's debacle of a team at times Um and that confidence was so important because that, I think, is it's a massive thing in football confidence. And when you believe that things are going to work out, they work. And so going back to doing some simple things, is that is that what the manager said? You know, make simple passes, make short passes, get movement in there, ready for it, stop overcomplicating things. Because clearly when it's not going well and you're trying to make a brilliant crossfield pass, it just goes to their defender. It hits, it lands in the goalkeeper's arms. Another another attacking move breaks down. And, and, and simplifying things is maybe sometimes a bit, have an answer that we need to just try um play to your strengths and and it works once once it started coming off we were, we were a different team so much more confident but i don't need a vpn i've got nothing to hide <laughs> this is what i used to tell myself before i hooked up with libertyshield.com not only is my home internet now fully encrypted but i can now access all the websites i want whenever i want and do so from absolutely anywhere as a Liverpool fan, 
I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48 hour no obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Bringing Diaz into the side always makes a difference. I mean, I, I quickly saw him come back on and just quickly remembered him joining the club and the difference he made. I mean... How often have we said about players they need a bit of time to bed in and a bit of time to settle? But Luis Diaz was was playing well the first second his boot hit the Anfield turf kind of thing. He's he's been a, a revelation for us, and I think there's just something about his attitude as well as his skill and all the rest of it that that lifts the team. And he clearly did. Um, I think, as I said, first half before the before we got onto the game, I think. McAllister was 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 so quiet and playing such a little role, and it just not working out for him. That taking him off was was on, was almost a sort of a fair thing to do, really. Just give him give him some time out and let him let him play where he's best. Let's not play him back there again for a little while. And I was surprised to be honest that we made the change straight after because the goal was great. Um, it was it was deserved after the, the pressure we were starting to put them under. It felt like it was them under the cosh instead of us. Um, great goal, but then I'm thinking. Normally, normally you get the cut the shot to the to the manager speaking to the fourth official saying to him don't don't make those changes I've changed my mind but no he he stuck with it and I was surprised because I just thought you know we've had them under the cosh playing this way let's keep at them let's keep going at them um, it worked out in the end but I did think at first that could have been a mistake because I don't know um, I felt like we were really really putting them under pressure by having four guys you know four attacking players on if you like four forwards on. And I wondered if it would go against us, but I think the confidence had made a difference by then. And maybe um, thinking for the long term, get it back to 1-1 and now keep building, keep building, keep them under pressure. And by the time this game's out, you'll have scored another. And and that proved to be true. To be fair, exactly what happened. The the, the pressure doubled down. I think all three, Dave, of the introductions um, were effective from minute one. Um, Darwin Harvey and um, Luis Diaz, on 57 minutes, actually, Darwin has his first involvement. It's a carry, a cut in, a long ranger. It's pretty wide, but he's, it's a cider. And it's what we want to see is our center forward shooting. Um, a long ranger from Chao Gomez after some pressure from then on the 58th minute. Um, they bring on, um, Doherty and Silva for Huang and Cunha on 60. But we're so much better at this stage. Um, they make another change. Bueno, who's going to have an unfortunate contribution in a few minutes uh, for Aitnuri at left back. Uh, and about 69 minutes, we have another good move. This time Darwin gets in kind of centrally, but his shot is blocked. Uh, leads to a corner. We get nothing from it. And actually, there was a yellow just to go back to what Jim was saying earlier on for them, um, Semedo on 71 for time wasting, which is quite interesting oh. at that stage. Um, and kind of says a lot about how the, 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 this, the momentum had shifted in the game. 
on about the 72nd minute or so, again, I'm watching TNT and Gina does one of those Neville oh, noises that everybody hates. Uh, <laughs> uh, like he was trying it out to see if he could use it for himself. It was a clear foul on Dom Sabozlai. Um, but for some reason they were trying to make it out that it was a dodgy call and they were on the break and it was blown up for us and you know was it a controversial decision but it just wasn't on 74 minutes the same player Dominic has a, has a half volley over the top after some good team play 76 Treore and Doyle come on for Lamina and Bellegarde and none of their subs are taking hold in the way that ours have there was a big block by Joel Matip on 80 minutes. Um, they wanted a pen for it, which was a joke. And 82, we decide to steady the ship by bringing on Ibu for Kwanzaa, but it's not really actually steadying the ship is, is, is not really the, the reason for it. It's because Kwanzaa's got a knock. Uh, 84, Dawson with a block, um, after an, uh, Diaz snapshot. And on 85 day, we actually go ahead. And I, I had confidence in that we'd, we'd hang on even with the absolutely ludicrous amount of time that's getting added on these days. And it is Robbo. And to be fair, I remember saying to you guys and before the season started, look, if this or just after it started, if, if, if we're going to do bits this year, if we're going to be good in the league, we're going to need him to be very good. We're going to need him to do Robbo things. And mm. uh, this was just wonderful from the lad, to be fair to him. A great run, great one, two at Moa. He's coming from left to right and strokes home. A wonderful finish in a, in a, an alien position for him on, on, on the right hand side of the attack. I mean, it's a, fantastic goal and a lovely goal to underline what had been pretty emphatic dominance in that period of the game. Yeah, without question. The the, the changes put us on top and then their changes sort of compounded it as well. Their lads just started to run out of steam. Like the, the, their legs were going, they were really struggling from about 60 on to keep their lads on the pitch. Um, this is one of the worst goals possible for them to concede as well because we have we have pressure we're we're really imposing our will and Jose Sa comes and makes a really good clean claim catches the ball all you want him to do then is lie down lie down and just take a little bit of the sting out of the game let's see if he can run 30 seconds off the clock here and for whatever reason, he decides to try and launch it long when he can't get a proper backswing to boot it down the field. And he slices the ball. Robbo picks it up in in their half and just drives at them, gives it to Mo and just keeps going. And he doesn't do anything like there's nothing clever about what Robbo does here. He just gets it, gives it and keeps running in a straight line. And they're completely lost as to what to do with him it's it's a weird thing where you know you see it sometimes when a center back we see it with joel joel will pick the ball up and he'll maraud forward and their defenders have no fucking idea how to deal with this fella and it's the same with robbo when he picks the ball up on the right hand side rather than the left hand side it's like what's he doing here why is he over here it's a little bit like watching that film never into the west trev we do. It's a horse, Tato. It's a horse. <laughs> it was kind of like that. They had no idea. Why is Rob <laughs> over this side? And he just sails through. Mo finds him with a gorgeous ball. And it's a it's a lovely finish. 
because he has to let the ball run across his body and then readjust himself to finish with his left foot because obviously obviously the right foot of Andy Robertson is is there merely for standing on, not for any footballing reasons. Well, it's not, um, his left foot is not there for finishing either. So that's why it was such a miracle not. goal. I like, was half expecting him to just welly it over the bar because that's normally what he does when he gets yeah. into good areas. Yeah. But it's a really, really good finish. Now, his Man of the Match award is a farce because he was so bad in the first half that in no way should he have been in the running. But he did score the go-ahead goal. Dang, and Jermaine, when people Jermaine like Genus. Jermaine. yeah, when people like Jermaine Genus and, and Fletch are involved in the commentary, you're talking about a very, very small combined IQ between these two individuals, and it's the low-hanging fruit that they'll they'll reach for every single time. So the guy who scored the go-ahead goal, well, he he must have been great. So we'll just pluck him now. Again, Robbo had a very good second half, and I thought was was definitely trying to fill the the role of captain was definitely trying to get the lads playing to to do the right things from a leadership point of view so i do give him credit for that throughout the game i thought the goal um, was a kind of example of leading well leading by example, leading by example in the way that he yeah. did that he took you I'm know took, took the ball between the, between his teeth kind of thing and you know took it and went there you know yeah he was the one that just said you know what fuck it i'm gonna go and do something here and thankfully the wolves defender had never seen a horse before <laughs> <laughs> the total shock at the Scottish shorts coming at them. Uh, well, I'll be back to you for your final thoughts in a minute, Dave. And we'll go to you, Jim, to finish out the game. And then we'll finish the show with your final thoughts. Uh, after we do go ahead, all we do is sort of double down, to be fair. 86 minutes. Mo should really play in Diaz. Uh, but we get a corner from it, which nothing arises from. On, on 89, uh, Robbo has a great back post header. Uh, off Doherty um, for a goal kick a, a, a good piece of defensive work by him to be fair uh, 8 minutes are added 8 um, and in the first of those 91 uh, Harvey has put us 3-1 up Darwin does some great centre forward work I really like the great take into the body and turns and drives a goal plays in Mo Salah with a well pitched pass his cross was blocked but the follow up from him is a kind of cutback to Harvey Elliott, who's advancing on the right-hand side. And his first-time effort with his left foot is probably going wide, but it's deflected in off the defender, the aforementioned left-back substitute, God love him. And it's deflected just inside the post. Um, That's the moment when you can finally celebrate, you think, but then you remember that he's added eight minutes on. And there was big celebrations in which both Harvey and Curtis were given yellow cards for celebrating with the crowd. Um, we bring on Gravenberch for Mo Salah in 93 minutes. Um, 95, Luis Diaz nearly gets in down the left. Ibu, I was talking about in that last period of the game, when it, throwing the arms around like Virgil and, and roaring and shouting and, and driving the line out. Uh, Gravenberch, some people wanted a penalty shout in 98 minutes. The game ended, Jim, on 102 freaking minutes, um, which means he added on uh, four minutes for the basic, for the goal and the celebrations and the yellow cards and all that kind of stuff. Seemed excessive, to say the least. And you, you certainly wouldn't be surprised to see an awful lot of um, contentious results where um, winners are scored in time that people don't really understand where it's come from um, being added on. Anyway, we're out the gap. 
with what looks like a convincing win. Um, but when you factor in the first half is anything but over the 90, um, I think a deserved victory, but I do understand comments to the effect that, you know, it could, it was a little bit flattering. I think your way of talking about it was dead right based on, on the horror show that was the first half and based on the fact that Wolves really should have been a little bit out of sight. That's where the flattery comes in. You're dead right about that. Just in terms of that period of the game, and just bear in mind, I'll be coming back to you for some up ideas. Anything you wanted to pick out? Because again, for me, it was lovely to see Darwin doing centre forward things and to see us looking lively, driving down either wing. It was nice buzz. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, Darwin gets, gets criticised. I mean, Jermaine, I mean, Go on, back to the one show, lad. You're not bad on that, you know, but get back away from the footy. I'm sorry. It's just not you. Um, but yeah, Darwin, I think even when he's not scoring, he's putting the shits up the defenders at times. He's, he's a problem. He's a handful. They're having to watch him and he's a distraction. So, you know, he, he's a, he's a good lad. And I still think he's a long way off being his, the best that we're going to get out of him. But, you know, um, for what was considered a big fee at the time, which now seems like a fraction with what people are paying nowadays, it was instantly going to happen, wasn't it? That he was going to get put under the microscope and every slight um, problem was going to be made bigger. Um, but, you know, let him let him think that we know what we've got in that player. The goal, um, well, just before just before the goal, I mean, I remember thinking how different it could have been because Robbo's um, clearance, it, it did go for a goal kick. But I thought it was a corner, and I'm thinking, oh shit, here we go. Last minute, you know that he's going to add a load of time on at the end. Um, I think we already had a sort of inkling off the, off the uh, commentary team by then that it was going to be such a big number, like eight. I thought this, you know, th- this could be where we throw it away after all this good work. But no, I mean, it, it was it was a goal kick, and we were we stayed resilient. That was the last real chance I can remember them getting. Um, and the only other thing to say about the goal is it was just more pressure from us and it felt inevitable this time it was going to go in the back of the net. And in, in many ways, that kind of takes away that worry of the eight added minutes. You're two goals ahead now. Um, I mean, I would like to have a quick message for Ebenezer Scrooge at the FA who thinks that we always have to take goals off people. I mean, why don't we change their own goals only apply if the players really made a good effort to score, the goalie throws it into his own net, <laughs> things like that. Otherwise, give it to the attacker. I mean, no defender wants OG against his name anyway. So just stop being so miserable. <laughs> Leave it with the attacker. That's my view anyway. Um, but no, they can't wait, can they? I mean, is there, a, is there a Premier League committee sitting there on call? on standby waiting to take goals off people because they were quick at doing it. Uh, VAR do it now and then it goes oh. to the uh, the disputed goals panel. But Well, who was on <laughs> VAR today? <laughs> yeah. Um, I look, mean, the fact is that the, the rule is, is wasn't if the, sh- goal, if the shot yeah. is off target and it hits a defender, it has to be an own goal. And, and Harvey, it's a shocker of a shot. Like, it's an awful shot. He snatches at it. It's hooking well wide. And it hits, it hits, uh, Hugo Bueno and, and goes in and. I think he played for it. I think he's, he's good at pool, I believe. A little, little bit of a snooker <laughs> shot there. But unfortunately for Harvey and Curtis, they've now, well, for Harvey in particular, he's now been booked for a goal that he didn't score. Um, which is a bit Richarlison-esque, but we'll take the win. And, uh, and I thought Harvey, to be fair, I thought when he came on, I, I really like him in that right wing role where we've got, Either a four-two-three-one or a four-four-two. When he's playing wide on the right, he's an attacker. When he's, he's an attacker, and he's not a midfielder, and he's not quick enough to play in the front three. But that kind of wing role where he's a little bit deeper and can drift in field. And I thought him and Gomez combined really well second half. So much um, energy as well, Elliot. That's an yeah. important part of these games. 
Yeah, very much so. He is. He's definitely a little ball of energy. So loads of loads of positives to take from the second half. Loads to take from the second half. We just need to cut out that first half because that's the same kind of first half we had at Wolves or at Newcastle. It's the same kind of first half we had at home to Bournemouth for the first twenty minutes or so, where we're really our own worst enemy, and we're we're making it much harder on ourselves than we need to be. But Look, we've got 13 points out of 15, which you're not going to turn your nose up. And as we speak right now, City are losing away to West Ham. Spurs are drawing with with Sheffield United. And, uh, of course, United are losing at home to Brighton, which is kind of irrelevant, but still funny. So things stay the way they are. We will go into tonight, top of the league. And unless Arsenal beat Everton by five goals tomorrow, we'll end the weekend top of the league. A potential top of the league clash with West Ham next week for my first yeah. game of the season. Holy shit! Yeah, I, I obviously uh, it's a long, long time, and um, you know all you all, all you have to do is say it's City, uh, but that's interesting. It is interesting place to find ourselves at this stage. In terms of wrap up thoughts, then I know you're kind of in the middle of them. Do kind of give us your your final overall assessment there, Dave, and do let folks know what's coming up for, from from you in the week. Um. Look, three points is three points, and, and at this stage of the season, that's all you really care about because the team is still trying to find its way, still trying to find out who they are, still getting to know each other because of the new signings. We're missing three of our starting back four today, and obviously two of our starting front three came off the bench. So there's there's a lot still to come from this team. Um, I'd like us to start starting games a lot better more like we did against Villa uh, less like today but you have to be happy you have to be happy with 13 points from from five games because it's not not like we've had a cakewalk either like we've had Chelsea big six we've had Bournemouth decent team new manager bump Toon finished top four last season Villa they're in Europe this season and Wolves, who are a, a bit of a pain in the arse to play at the best of times, and it's that early kickoff after an international break. Like, it's been a, a tough five games, and to come out of it with 13 points is really positive. We can head into the last game on Thursday night. Um, Thursday evening, I should say, because it's a, it's a quarter to six kickoff, which mm. for those that weren't aware, uh, which include me until this moment now. Um, Another early kicker. That's nice. That's nice. So that, that means we're, we'll be out the gap by like half nine. None of this 11 o'clock shite. Um, and then obviously, yeah, West Ham next weekend, uh, where myself and, and Downey are, are missing, um, the, the raw, but I'm sure it'll be deputized very, very well. Uh, as for me, um, my week is, is up in the air. I, I, I don't know what's to come for me this week is the honest truth of it. I'm, I'll try my best to get as much done as I can, but Monday and Tuesday currently look like a bit of a clusterfuck for me. So it's probably Wednesday and on for, for content. So two footed daily red. There'll be a, a couple of, uh, scouteds. There'll be the raw for Lask. And that's probably it this week. Sound. Thank you for that. And what about yourself, Jim? Wrap up um, thoughts and uh, a pointer towards what's coming up from you for the week. Yeah, I mean, I think one wrap up is that when we were doing Scouts and Summers the other day, we both thought that there was going to be some footnote for the referee in every sort of 
uh, match report. And to be fair, although you know, although we, I'm not happy with the yellow card. It happens, as Dave said, it is how things go. And overall, I don't think the officials interfered with the game, which is probably worth writing down because that is unusual. Um, they kind of didn't do that bad. You know, I mean, Mike, it's a very low bar I'm setting for them, but you know, compared to what we're used to, that wasn't too bad from the officials. And um, again, yeah. We can't keep doing this in the first half. Okay, we showed that character, that resilience, whatever you want to call it, to come back. We reacted, which is what I expect from Liverpool teams when things go bad. React, um, put it away, deal with it. Um, but we, yeah, we need to stop making it a thing we need to do so often because it's not always going to work out. And the more we do it, the more other teams are going to suss out that, you know, if they score, this is how you react to Liverpool's reacting to your scoring. So, um, let's just stop it. Let's just win games comfortably. I'm not sure the next game, the next league game will be that comfortable. Um, I'm sure David Myers will be looking forward to it. It's his, you know, his final of every season is to play us. Um, and they're doing well. So could be a tough one. Um, you know, as always, three points is what matters most. And if we look at the league table at the end of the season and we won every game from now to the end of the season after going behind, we are not going to give a shit about that statistic, are we? So that's what I think matters is you've got to win however you do it. But please, you know, let us enjoy more of a game. That first half was dreadful and I really don't want to have to sit through shit like that again if I can help it. Thanks, Jürgen. Um, as for us, we did we did do a Scouts of Thomas the other day. We've also done a preview of the Europa League game as part of that. So if you've not listened yet, feel free. You can always fast forward through the bits about today's game, um, including the bit where we were really confident about how, how well we'd do. Um, forgetting <laughs> it was a lunchtime kickoff and Jürgen was going to talk us down. Um, have a listen to that. And if not, um, we, we will be back again. Probably we're going to try and squeeze something in between the Europa and the League game, but that's going to be tight, isn't it? So, um, But we'll have a go. You know, Liverpool have to do it, so do we. Absolutely. And if you have any sense, you'll be listening to whatever it is that Jim and Dave are putting out there on the airwaves, whether it's limited or not this week, make sure you do give it your attention because uh, both men are always worth listening to for uh, opinions and the, the, the humorous aspect that they bring to things as well. Uh, I'll be back with Jan tomorrow night from I'll be on the spot after the international break layoff. And several other things, no doubt, between now and the last game. We're definitely back for that Raw. As Dave says, uh, neither of us involved in Raw for West Ham. Um, I'm delighted to say I'll be at it and hopefully that'll go well. But we will keep cranking out the content here for Young Anfield Index, Anfield Index Pro. I've been Trev Denny. That was Jim Boardman and Dave Hendrick. This is Raw. And we'll see you again in the middle of the week on a Thursday night. You know. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.